the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are underway now at nine minutes. Is it actually nine minutes? Am I off? Yeah, it's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. On AM 1420, the answer, Always Right Radio, on air and online at alwaysright.us. It is a Tuesday, not a Monday. It feels like a Monday, of course, but it's a Tuesday, the fifth morning of the seventh month, seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and it is a very, very busy day. Normally, I spend the entire first half hour of our broadcast monologuing on the news of the day. Today, not so much. We're going to break here in just a few minutes so that I have room to bring in Detective Steve Loomis, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, to lend some insight into what police officers uh, face and what happened in Akron, Ohio. A week ago, we, we, knew, we knew that's when it went down, the shooting of Jalen Walker. What we did not know is specifically how it went down until the um, release on Sunday of the body cam footage of eight police officers, all of whom saw the same threat in the shooting of Jalen Walker in Akron, Ohio. So a lot of people are wondering, why 60 shots? Why 60 shots? Why would they fire that many times? 
It's not as if each of them took 60 shots. We're going to let Steve Loomis explain more about that and about how these decisions are made in literally split-second decisions. Well, decisions made in split seconds. Let's rephrase it. Because that's exactly what happens. We have the comfort of our easy chairs, our kitchen tables, wherever it is that we sit around and watch these videos and we put them in slow motion and we listen to experts talking about what the, what what they're seeing. We have such a distinct advantage of also knowing that nobody's shooting at us as we watch this situation. These officers do not enjoy that same luxury. So we're going to talk to Steve Loomis about that coming up here in just about 10 minutes at about 9.20. He's been kind enough. Uh, he's on vacation. He's been kind enough to come on and talk about what is going on there. Uh, coming up also this morning at 9.35, we'll uh, clear the decks for Jim Jordan. He would have been joining us yesterday, but of course with the holiday, Jim Jordan will join us to talk about shootings, the one in Akron, the parade shooting, the 4th of July parade shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, outside of Chicago yesterday. And of course, the left wing's call. Once again, literally, bodies are still warm, and they're calling for disarming the American people. Literally, this is what they're calling for, is disarming the American people. Uh, we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that at 10.10. Peter Kersenow and I will break down probably all of those things, along with inflation, gas prices, and a declaration by the President of the United States when asked, how long can the American people expect to have to put up with $5 a gallon gas? The answer being, as long as it takes to deal with Russia. you He will not, as a matter of fact, not only is he not ordering more exploration and more production and more output, Brandon is ordering less. He literally is closing and canceling leases as we speak. He is also texting, or rather tweeting to the oil companies to just suck up losses. Just take less money, charge less money, and take losses as I try to put you out of business in deference to our uh, green energy movement. Kirstenau and I will talk about that. And then uh, that's at 1010. Then at 11.05, Edward Bartlett will be joining us. We're going to talk about the show. We're watching a show trial play out literally before our very eyes in the January 6th committee, and I've got more news on that as well. And show trials are exactly what's happening on American college campuses as well as young males predominantly, but it's not just about male and female and sexual assault, but males are accused of and, and uh, convicted in the court of a p- public opinion, meaning they are presumed guilty until they prove their innocence, if they are charged with something, but also racial incidents. Many times guilt is already uh, uh, pronounced before the hoax is uncovered. So all of these show trials that are going on, we really, really are moving away from the foundational principles of this country and our legal system. It's happening on campuses. It's happening right now on Capitol Hill. And we'll talk about all of those things. So we've got four very important guests. Steve Loomis, Jim Jordan, Pete Kersenow, and Edward Bartlett will be the uh, guests today. So not a ton of time for you to get in, but I welcome you when you can. 216-901-0945, Now before we do anything, including having our guest Peter or uh, uh, Steve Loomis coming on, I would ask you now, patriots, to go ahead and stand face your flag on this july 5th much as i'm sure you did on july 4th maybe even you did it on july 3rd that's where we watched our fireworks was on july 3rd uh but uh, the entire independence day weekend and we talked a lot on friday going into the weekend on what that meant um 
we may have to talk more about it today now that the Independence Day weekend is gone, because now that we have some statements that were made, some decisions that were made, some really confounding um, uh, decisions by cities, townships, elected officials to not honor the United States of America because they don't believe the United States of America is honorable in the wake of Roe v. Wade and with the Second Amendment still existing. It's really an amazing thing, which is what makes it all the more important for us to stand and face that flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you don't have a flag, just imagine one. If you are a believer in taking away gun rights of 300 million American citizens because of the actions of lunatics, if you are dismissive of the mental health aspect and just think if we get rid of guns, we'll all be safe, then you have no idea what the founders meant. You have no idea what the country stands for. You have no idea what that flag stands for. As such, you are exempted from my request to pledge your allegiance to it. Go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex, ex, favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, if you thought I was kidding about what they're, uh, the leftists are saying, literally as the bodies in Highland Park uh, are, are, are being recovered, uh, they're immediately wanting to take away your First Amendment rights. So. Our founders carried muskets, not assault weapons. And I don't think a single one of them would have said that you have a constitutional right to an assault weapon with a high-capacity magazine. Guess what? A musket was an assault weapon back in that day, you doofus J.B. Pritzker. By the way, I meant, of course, Second Amendment, not First Amendment rights. We'll take that time out now so we can come back and talk to Steve Loomis about a different shooting, this one involving police officers and a thug shooting at them in Akron, Ohio, that led to widespread violence on Sunday night and to a curfew imposed last night. He'll join us next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Twenty-one minutes after nine o'clock. Good Tuesday morning to you. Thanks for being with us. There was a curfew in effect last night in Akron, Ohio, uh, instituted by the mayor to try to stop some of the violence, some of the uh, vandalism, and other assorted uh, left-wing activities to happen anytime there is a police-involved shooting, no matter what the circumstances are. That's what happened Sunday night: violence, vandalism, uh, rioting. This happened despite the fact that a uh, earlier on Sunday, the police body cam video was released, dash cam and body, body cam video released, of Jalen Walker shooting at police officers who were pursuing him after he failed to stop for the second time, by the way, uh, because of equipment uh, uh, issues with his vehicle, taillights not, being, uh, not, not working and so forth. Police officers making a routine traffic stop for that. He fled. As they pursued, he shot at them. He jumped out of his car, ran, refused to follow orders when he reached for his waistband, and eight police officers opened fire. All of them combined apparently shot him roughly 60 times. That is what has led to the latest protests from the NAACP, from Black Lives Matter, from people like Bishop Talbot Swan, and others. 
apparently none of them care about the facts of a case. Joining us now is Steve Loomis. He is the president, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolman's Association, currently a detective in the city's 4th District, to lend some insight into how these things happen. Steve, thank you for the time this morning. Good morning. Bob. All right. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Steve. Thank you. Um, I know you're on vacation, so I appreciate you uh, putting in the time here with us. This is such an incredible uh, situation. What I want to talk about, we'll get into the specifics of, you know, the protests and, and what they're protesting in a moment. But I want to talk to you about what police officers face. Because they seem to be, the, the, the critics of this situation seem to be complaining uh, that the police officers didn't have to shoot so many times. As if 60 shots versus two shots or six shots or whatever make a difference in the grand scheme of things. If lethal force is required... Uh, in a given situation, then the amount of that lethal force is literally irrelevant. At least that's from a layman's opinion. When a police officer is pursuing a suspect who has already fired at them, and then he makes a motion toward where guns are often kept, which is in a you know in, in the pants and the waistband, etc. Can you talk about what goes through an officer's head before he decides he needs to use that lethal force? Sure, it's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying um, to think that you might lose your life. And this gentleman, for whatever reason, decided to fire at the police. And uh, all bets are off at that point. I want I want the people that are uh, NAACP and Sherrod Brown and, you know, everybody that's weighing in on this to explain to my mother or those officers' wives or those officers' kids why they shouldn't have shot back. And, and uh, taking care of that situation. Um, it is a ridiculous notion. The people that are protesting now are protesting because they need to justify their existence. Um, the NAACP, Sherrod Brown, uh, you know, oh, poor uh, black drivers are being murdered by the police. That is absolutely false. It's absolutely ridiculous. And there's not a police officer out there that wants to be involved in a police-involved shooting. But there's also not a police officer out there that wants to get shot. So guess what? If you shoot at the police, you're going to get fired on back. And that's exactly what happened here. It's very clear. Steve, it's, Steve the I narrative... I don't know more about it than, uh, Steve, than what I've seen in the media. But No, I understand. And we've all seen the, the, the video now, the dash cam video and the body cam video that was released on Sunday, which cleared the officers, quite frankly, I think, um, and to almost everyone's satisfaction, including the def- uh, the attorney who represents uh, the, uh, the, the, man, the young man that was shot. Because he yeah. said, he, he literally said after seeing that, well, that isn't the way it was explained to us the first time. In fact, the chief even said he didn't know what could have made the police think they were in danger, that they needed to do this. So in other words, he's trying to say that, you know, uh, uh, this is news to us as well. So he's acknowledging this is a game changer. Mm-hmm. But, but having said that, the narrative is still police shoot unarmed black man because he didn't yeah. have his arm on him, his firearm on him at the time he fled the car. The police officers were shot at from the car. Then he slows down, jumps out, and starts running. At the time of the shots, with the ski mask on, with the thank you, correct, sir, thank you, with a ski mask on, which would indicate to me, if I'm a police officer pursuing a suspect with a ski mask on, 
just for the sake of this discussion, it eliminates race as any potential motive or or factor involved in the police shooting. If you've got a ski mask on, I don't know if you're black, white, purple, or green. It doesn't. You know, exactly. It's impossible to know. But having said that, the narrative is still he wasn't armed at the time of the shooting. How do you and how would those officers respond to that? Well, just exactly the way that they did. Police officers are responsible for what they know at the time of the event. And what do we know? We know that this young man decided to shoot at them. He he bailed out of the car. Tasers didn't work. He kept running. They finally caught up with him somewhere. And he decides that it's a good idea to reach his waistband and turn around and, and face them and pull his arm out. I mean, that's clear. But that's exactly what happened, and those officers reacted appropriately. You don't have seconds. You don't have seconds. You have a half a second, a quarter of a second to make that decision um, as to what you're going to do. And given the totality of those circumstances, um, those officers acted and, and did exactly what they were trained to do. They, they were lawful in what they did from what I've seen. And, uh, you know, the number of rounds, you hit it right on the head. If deadly force is justified, then the number of rounds is absolutely irrelevant. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's kind of what I said in the beginning, Steve. But but speak more yep. to that, because people are saying, just, just as in the Brelo case, you know, 137 rounds at the car, and I think just as in the... Um, uh, what was the case uh, with Habib uh, uh, years ago? Brandon uh, McLeod. Uh, the the yeah. the questions from the media and from the critical cop haters, um, you know, in in uh, you know in the activist world, is why so many shots? Same thing happened here. Why sixty times? Can you explain that part? Well, there's there's eight people shooting, so you know, do the math on that. Um, and that and that that fact tells me a lot as a police officer is that there's eight different police officers that saw the same threat that, that had the same thing going through their minds um and they want to talk about retraining and all that but just stop you know you don't know the different levels of uh training that those officers had or experience levels if they were male female black white no, no, I don't know that right now, but the, all I know is that there's eight police officers that, that perceive the same threat, and, and they acted appropriately. So they go home at the end of the night, and nobody else gets hurt. Yeah, and, and, and that is such an important part of this. Um, and, and, Steve, something else that – and, by the way, you and I talked, I remember, shortly after the Brandon McLeod situation, you know um, – what what a double tap is most people in the in the you know listening right now who are not gun owners don't understand that you know they they think it's one two three four five six and it's not it's if you have eight officers each of whom does roughly four double taps each which is in the way the way officers fire the way your trainer fires boom 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 if each of them does four double taps now you have 64 shots it's not hard to understand and they're not checking with one another are they steve as to are you firing um because if you're firing i won't fire and and if the guy down the row if they're you know if there's eight guys somebody else is firing i don't have to fire they have to assume 
that 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 uh, uh, or at least they cannot assume. Let's phrase it this way: they cannot assume that their fellow officers are going to be successful and accurate. If there is a lethal force situation, you don't wait to see if the other guy hit him. You shoot and fire as well until the threat is diminished, right? Yeah, and and the threat is to each of the individual officers. Um, we don't have time. Like I said, these things happen in seconds, in half of a second, and we don't have time to, you know, uh, get that, you know, get that plan into a put that plan into effect. Um, they see what's going on, and they do what they need to do to neutralize or. Uh, um, you know, stop that. Stop threat. the threat, right? Which becomes a public safety, and, they, and I think some of them said that after the uh, body cam uh, uh, footage was released, it went from being a traffic stop situation and a pursuit to a public safety matter. Now, now we know this guy who is shooting at cops is a direct threat to the public. Lord knows who will shoot at next. They had to take him down. Uh, that is another part of it. And the last thing, Steve, because I'm short on time here, is I want to talk about what these officers, what's going through their heads when. I've got two stats in front of me right now. In 2021, according to the FBI statistics for law enforcement officers shot and killed in the line of duty, there was a 51% increase over 2020. And guess what? As of April of this year, three months ago, there was a 43% increase over that 2021 number. So the number of people taking shots at cops is skyrocketing, and they have to know this. The officers have to know this. They can't stand there and wait until somebody shoots them before they fire back. Yeah, and you don't hear Sherrod Brown talking about that, the police officers that, that get killed in the line of duty. Two police officers got killed on 4th of July um, just just the other night. You don't hear about that. Oh, that's their job. Yeah, that's last night there were two Phil- two officers in Philadelphia were shot last yeah. night. It gets yeah. nowhere near the coverage of either Jalen Walker in this particular case or obviously yeah. the Highland Park situation, which we'll talk about later. But, but Steve Loomis, mm-hmm. yeah, officers are never, ever given the same consideration that the suspects who shoot at them. No, and, and, and when these folks can explain, like I said, when you can explain to the police officers, mothers, wives, children why they need to wait until they're actually shot before they can return fire. Right. Um, I want Sherrod Brown to, to ride a, a week in a zone car here in Cleveland. Yeah. See what his attitude is after that. No, yeah, the playing politic with playing politic with uh, officers' lives in tragic situations, yeah. it's sickening, but that's Absolutely. what they do. Uh, Steve Loomis, uh, Cleveland Police Detective, thank you, Steve, for your perspective on this. Thank you very much, sir. Coming up, uh, it's news time now. We'll talk to Jim Jordan next, AM 1420, The Answer. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. I'm, I'm sorry that, that we're glorifying what he put on social media. I don't want to encourage other people to think that this is a way to uh, you know, lead into this kind of violence. We need to have a very real national conversation about why we're okay with allowing weapons of war on our streets and why we're okay with weekly having mass shootings. 
That's the mayor of Highland Park, Illinois, suburb of Chicago, where the terrible uh, shooting happened yesterday, took six lives, injured dozens of others, saying, yeah, forget about all of this stuff that might indicate mental illness. We don't need to do that. Just take guns out of the hands of law-abiding Americans. That's the left's answer. J.B. Pritzker, yesterday, the governor of Illinois, said something similar, uh, that our founding fathers had muskets. They didn't anticipate weapons of war. Well, a musket was a weapon of war at the time that they did that, and that is exactly what their intention was, to have the people able to defend themselves, particularly from a tyrannical government. Joining us now for reaction to that and much more, Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative and the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, good morning, sir. I hope you had a nice weekend. Yeah, we we did, Bob. I hope you did as well. Uh, Obviously, it's terrible what happened in in Highland Park. Uh, um, Just, you know, the families who are impacted that community here, our hearts go out to them. But but the answer, as you pointed out, is not to take away the rights of law-abiding Americans, which is always what the left wants to do. Yeah, it's their first blush reaction. I mean, those bodies were still being collected and still being, you know, tended to and so forth as they were saying, get rid of the guns, get rid of the guns. And, Congressman, I'm just I'm struggling to understand how they think this is the answer. They just passed what they called, you know, landmark legislation, just forced it through, and Biden signed it last week. We knew that wouldn't have stopped the shooting in uh, in Buffalo. It wouldn't have stopped the shooting in Uvalde. It wouldn't have stopped the shooting either. They're not going to be satisfied until they pass something that takes all guns out of the hands of all Americans. And guess what? That won't stop shootings either, will it? No, it won't. And you're right. Uh, they've been clear they want to get rid of the Second Amendment. Um, Illinois has some of the most restrictive gun, gun laws in, in the country already, and it didn't stop this terrible guy from doing the evil things that, that, that he did. So, uh, And also, you know, when it comes to the Second Amendment, <clears throat> it doesn't say muskets. It says uh, muskets. It says arms. That's true. That's correct. That's exactly what it says. Uh, to keep and and we've the Supreme Court, of course, last week. You and I didn't talk about this. Oh, uh, Congressman, you cut out on me. I thought you stopped speaking. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you stopped. I thought you stopped speaking. I apologize. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying that the founders that they wrote it a specific way. They were talking about arms because they understood that. Uh, and this country, it's what we celebrated just just yesterday. This this idea that. Uh, it's about freedom. It's about independence from a country that was restricting our liberties. And now you have you have elected officials in our own country talking about doing about, talking about restricting rights and freedoms. And it's just that 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 is not what the founders had in mind when they wrote the Second Amendment. Um, but the left never seems to get that. No, they don't. And 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 again, I apologize for the confusion there. I couldn't hear you. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, the the Supreme Court, you know, passed a very made a very very important decision, of course, uh, just uh, at the end of their term, and that is the New York uh, gun restriction law that says, you know, you, not only does the Second Amendment say you can keep them, but you can bear them, you can carry them, uh, without having to explain to the government yep. why 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 you have a uh, you know a need to do so. Uh, this is fundamental to, to the Constitution, and it would appear to me, Congressman. Uh, that that there are many of your colleagues on the left, particularly in Congress, who, who really either don't understand or they just simply don't respect the Constitution because they want to write in things that are not in the Constitution, like a right to an abortion, and they want to write out of the Constitution things that are there, like the right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Supreme Court, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Supreme Court basically said the Constitution means what it says, and, and the Constitution doesn't mean what, what it doesn't... Um, you can't just put things in the Constitution that aren't there. So that that was the decision from the court, both on the Second Amendment issue and, of course, on the pro-life issue. Uh, but that's not what the, the way the left sees it. The left wants to get rid of the Second Amendment. They want to insert things in the Constitution that, frankly, just are not there. 
Uh, but, but thank goodness for the court who, who said in simple terms, the Constitution means what it says, even in, 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 in light of the fact that, uh, you know, 50 years ago, they wrote something in there that wasn't there. That's what the decisions were about from our court. And God bless them for doing the right thing. Congressman, uh, Akron is not in the 4th Congressional District, but it's Ohio and it's close enough. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on this situation. You know, um, usually we're supposed to wait. At least that's the way it has has you know, has has been. We're supposed to wait until an investigation is completed before we make up our minds on what happened in a given situation, particularly in a police-involved shooting. Um, yeah. They, they, they waited in this case and actually got the, not the complete investigation, but they finally got the body cam footage in the shooting of Jalen Walker released on Sunday. It very clearly showed the shooter, or excuse me, the, uh, the deceased shooting at the police officers, then jumping out of his car, and then turning and facing police officers with his hand on his waist span um rather than putting his hands into the air so so everything was was clarified now it was his own actions that caused the loss of his life and they rioted anyway even after investigations are conducted or at least in this case uh video footage is released and they still rioted can police ever ever be given the opportunity to do their jobs without being second guessed and without being accused of being murderers no, I mean it's just tough right now for for the the the, the people in law enforcement. I mean, what they you got you got uh, prosecutors who don't want to prosecute bad guys. You got you got local governments who want to defund the police. Then whenever they take action, uh, they're always second guessed. Even in light of the, as you point out in this situation where there's video footage that 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 shows what took place. So it is. Again, I say God bless these these individuals who are willing to go out there and protect our communities. But it is tough right now. And then, of course, it seems that the that the left is always eager to jump in and and be critical, uh, as you point out in this situation, prior to even having the full the full picture. But um, it's tough. I mean, I, I saw a story I think this morning where you, you know they're, they're they're talking about how many officers are just leaving, doing something else because frankly they're just fed up. And in many ways, you can't blame them. Um, I try to, one of the things I try to do is whenever I'm out is to thank these the deputy sheriffs, sheriffs and, 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 and police officers, thank them for what they do. And I think that's, that's, I think that's the sentiment from the vast, vast majority of people. But there are some on the left who just don't, don't seem to get it. Well, well, particularly, it's not just people on the left. Like, I expect a, 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 an ambulance chasing attorney looking for a paycheck like Ben Crump to do what he did in this case, screaming that these officers had no justification and they need to be held accountable immediately. But when your colleagues in the United States Congress, even on the Senate side, yeah. like Sherrod Brown, make public statements indicating that the officers were wrong or at least suggesting that they were because, quote, um, the family deserves a thorough and transparent investigation of why we are mourning yet another young black life cut short. This is every black parent's worst fear of what a traffic stop will turn into. The, it, it, Congressman, I get so frustrated because he is an elected official. He represents yep. people, and he is indicating to people that the individual was right to flee the cops. That if he, if he simply stopped and the police officer approached the window and they talked about his broken taillight and talked about what has to happen here as if that would have ended in his death. What ended in his death is his refusal to simply follow the law. Stop your car when the the lights are behind you, talk to the police officer, and guess what? None of this happens. They're justifying the bad behavior in Congress. Yeah, it's... Again, it just seems to be uh, where to, where today's left is, uh, whether they're elected officials or, or, or what have you. They, um, uh, they they always go after the police force. And, and look, when 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 if if in fact they've done something wrong, they're going to be held accountable. We get that. 
but but uh, the, the 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 police are out there risking their lives, doing their job, and the and the the the, the, the way they are treated. And then you know, remember, in the whole summer of twenty, we've talked about this many times. The whole summer of twenty twenty, rioters and looters were called peaceful protesters by the left, by the mainstream press, by Democrats, and and Democrat elected officials, including the vice president of the United States went out and raised money to bail out the very people who were attacking law enforcement to raise money to bail them out of jail. So that is not the right approach. The right approach is to get to the facts and the truth and support our law enforcement officers who, in the vast majority of cases, uh, do just an amazing job under the toughest conditions. All right. Speaking of tough conditions, let's uh, pivot to inflation. I I was stunned by what Joe Biden said last week as he was in Madrid wrapping up that G7 summit when asked how long can the American people expect to have to suffer through five dollars a gallon uh, to suffer through inflation that is killing their middle class family budgets, uh, not allowing them to pay their bills. How long? And he said, as long as it takes to stop Russia and save Ukraine. Not and, and yeah. then, by the way, after that, sign uh, or excuse me, canceling more leases for more exploration for oil and natural yeah. gas, Congressman. He can control this if he chooses to. He absolutely refuses to do so, and then says, "Well, Vladimir Putin will decide how long you have to pay these prices." Yeah, he refuses to do the right thing. He tries to blame someone else. And then he has this 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 attitude, this disdain for us regular folks who live here in the heartland. Uh, you remember when Buttigieg says, I don't care if it goes to $4 a gallon, which we'd frankly appreciate right now uh, in light of where it is. But I don't care if it goes to $4 a gallon. If you, if you don't like that, buy, buy, uh, buy electric vehicle. And then, then Colbert says, I don't care if it goes all the way up to 15 because I drive a Tesla. I mean, the attitude they have, this, 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 it, it's reflective in uh, – uh, you see it in, in when, when Peter Strzok said to Lisa Page a few years ago in one of those text messages that when he was in the Walmart, he said, I can smell the Trump supporters. So the, they, they have this attitude for the middle America who, who actually go to work every day. We've talked about that, you know, who, who make things, grow things, move things, who can't zoom it in and remote work and all this stuff. We actually have to go to work. And then they tell us, oh, just suck it up. Um, meanwhile, he could be doing all kinds of things to lower the price. He refuses to do it and actually wants this situation put on the American people that he's supposed to be fighting for. Well, you know, it's the names that you just mentioned are important to this conversation, but I'll give you one that's worse, and that's Jennifer Granholm. She's the energy secretary, yeah. and, and, and she's she's doing the same type of mockery Need that, to that lose Colbert. 50 pounds or Sorry more. about that. That should not be on. That's an ad. Um, so, uh, so Jennifer Granholm uh, has a huge investment in um, yeah. uh, electric uh, electric b- uh, battery uh, uh, companies. She owns stock in these things, and she's establishing the policy. The policy that says, uh, you know what, uh, suff- suck it up or go buy an electric vehicle. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't understand how there isn't a conflict of interest there that Congress is investigating. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's today's left. Like, like I said, if, even if Joe Biden decided, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up Anwar, I'm going to allow more leasing on federal land, we're going to go back and do the pipeline, we're going to send a message to the market that will actually bring down the price of gas. Even if he decided to do that, the left will not allow him. And, and then you point out you have someone in a position of real influence, the energy secretary, who has this, this position uh, relative to her own portfolio uh, on, on, on electric vehicles and batteries and everything else. They don't get what the American people get, and um, that's the frustrating. And, and, and frankly, it's why, it's why his approval ratings are below 40 percent. It's, it's why more than 7 out of 10 of our fellow Americans think the country's headed, on, headed in the wrong direction, because they, frankly it is. 
and the country gets it. Well, last thing for you, too, I want to ask you one more issue, because I couldn't believe what I heard yesterday from Alejandro Mayorkas. Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS, literally <laughs> said, we quote, we are doing a good job. And what is he referring to? He's referring to the border. 240-some thousand crossings in May. Uh, we we yep. don't have the June numbers yet record. because June just ended. Uh, but record numbers, you know, you got 50 migrants dying in the back of a truck uh, as people try to, uh, you know, follow Joe Biden's red carpet in- invitation to come to the United States because once you get here, we're going to let you stay here. Congressman, how is that a good job? No, it's not. And, and everyone gets it. Um, I, I mean, this is my orcas. He, he, he said a year and a half ago the border is secure. Uh, which we all know is, is just a flat-out lie. Th- this guy is, uh, he's the worst. Uh, we know it record after record, uh, illegal migrants crossing each month, and now all up to 240-some thousand in the, in the month of May. So, yeah, when he stands there and says it, it, we're doing a good job, you're like, well, what are you talking about? And, and frankly, the, he even said yesterday that, you know, Congress needs to pass something. I'm like, Congress didn't pass anything when Trump had uh, the border under control, the most secure border ever. Congress didn't pass anything, but now nothing's changed relative to the law. Only thing that has changed is this administration and their ridiculous policies of undoing what was in place with President Trump. So the country gets it. He can say it, say whatever he wants. It's just not act. It's just not factual. And you know what? I lied when I said last issue. I just just super quick on Mansion and Cinema too, because Biden said also in Madrid as he trashed the United States on foreign soil, trashing his own country, trashing the Supreme Court, calling it Ill- illegitimate and so forth, uh, and then saying I want to abolish the filibuster or at least for this particular issue, and that is to be able to codify Roe v. Wade. Mansion and Cinema came right out and said, No, we told you once before we're not doing this when you wanted to pass build back better and we're telling you again do you think they'll hold i do i do i mean it, you know uh um the experiences uh the past experience is a good indicator of future and, and they were they were willing to hold on build back better uh i do think they will hold here and and frankly um you know as we talked about before this was a great decision from the united states supreme court interpreting the constitution exactly the way the constitution is and so um, I think it, I think they will hold that. That's good news for the country. Totally agree. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you for putting in the time. We always you appreciate you. you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, there's Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer, it's 953. We'll take a time out and come back. Always Right Radio on air. AM 1420, The Answer. That was such an important part of the conversation, even though it came at the very tail end uh, of my conversation with Jim Jordan a moment ago. You know, Biden goes on foreign soil back on Friday, well, actually Thursday and Friday, but uh, he's on foreign soil and he's giving a speech at the end of the G7 or actually doing a little press conference. And he takes the time to, with the rest of the world watching at a G7 summit, trash the United States government. Apparently, he doesn't feel as though the founders and the framers giving of each of the three branches of government equal power. Apparently, he doesn't like that or doesn't agree with that, doesn't believe that should be the way that it is, because he took one third of that, the Supreme Court, and essentially denounced it as if it should not have its power and that he, the executive, should have more power to decide what is done uh, with respect to the Constitution and law in this country. But then the worst thing that he did, in addition to that, is he literally called for an end to the legislative filibuster, which has been, talk about precedence, 
history, uh, a part of, a part of the government and the history of this government for a couple of centuries now. I mean, we literally have these rules in place for a reason to nuke the filibuster, which would change things forever, simply to get one temporary outcome, which which would be codifying the the murdering of babies, is is simply unconscionable. It's 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 hard to fathom. It is impossible to overstate the importance of Joe Manchin responding immediately and saying, "Nope, not doing it." And then Kirsten Sinema as well. They held fast in the face of criticism from their Democrat colleagues and supporters and media members. They held fast. And they, for now anyway, they indicated they are not going to break. The question is, is will anyone on the other side, the Republican side of the aisle, will they be tempted to switch over? I will not be comfortable until we have a four, five, six seat majority in the United States Senate. And that majority has to be of conservatives, not rhinos. Mitt Romney, I don't count. Rob Portman, I don't count. There are some of Murkowski, Collins. I don't count them as being part of a conservative majority because you can't trust their conservative um, interpretation of the law and the Constitution. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, hour number two underway now on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer, online at alwaysright.us. You know... We're not perfect. As much as we try to be, we're not perfect. Um, I have ripped Fox News on a number of occasions for some unconscionable reporting or editorial decision-making, what they will cover, what they won't cover, what they will allow, what they will not allow. They would not allow any coverage of 2,000 mules. They brought Dinesh D'Souza on, but they weren't allowed to talk about the movie. He wasn't allowed to talk about the movie. Some of the things Fox News does defies my 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 comprehension i don't understand but i always say that on balance they're a net good rather than a net negative they're a net positive i'm going to say something here about my own radio station and about our own company here because what i just heard in the newscast made me sick to my stomach and i think we should apologize for it and since i probably can't get town hall news to apologize for it i will you just heard in that newscast, or maybe you did, maybe you didn't notice it, they referred to Jalen Walker, the uh, suspect who was shot by Akron police, as being an unarmed black man. That tired, inaccurate narrative must end. Jalen Walker shot at police officers. This isn't news anymore. This was known two days ago, officially, when the body cam footage was released. Dash cam and body cam. He shot at cops. And then when he took off on foot, and when he was ordered to stop and put his hands in the air, and he turned around instead with his hand on his waistband, you don't get to call him an unarmed black man. First of all, he's wearing a ski mask. He is now ski mask man. He's not black man. He's not white man. He's not orange or green or purple man. He is ski mask man. I don't know what color there is under that. If I'm a cop, I don't care. 
I do care that he just fired at police officers from his car and then turned around with his hand on his waistband when told to put his hands in the air. He doesn't get status as unarmed black man. That newscast could have come straight from CNN or MSNBC or a headline on the Washington Post. That's garbage. That's trash reporting, and I want to apologize for it. On balance, we do a phenomenal job of the presentation of news, particularly when the legacy news media, the traditional news media, the mainstream news media, whatever it is you want to call it, won't give you all sides of the news. We provide that other side, but sometimes we step in it, and our newscaster at the top of the last hour stepped in it, and I hope it's corrected immediately. He was not an unarmed black man. He was armed enough to shoot at cops which necessitated their firing at him when he refused to comply for their orders or with their orders. I am so sick and tired of that narrative. Unarmed black man wearing a ski mask, firing at cops, and cops are supposed to do what? All right, it's 12 minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock, the fifth morning of the seventh month, year of our Lord, 2022. Let's bring in Kirsten now. It is a Tuesday. It feels like a Monday because we all had the extra day, thanks to the birth of our nation. By the way, a holiday brought to you by citizens with guns standing up against a tyrannical government. Uh, but it's actually a Tuesday instead, and Peter Kirsten now joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Pete. Bob, how are you? I'm good. I had a great weekend, really. Uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful time with my family uh, from almost the entirety of the weekend until, of course, there were riots in Akron uh, on Sunday night, even after the, the video was released. You know, the story that was told for the few days leading up to the video was that these police officers just executed in cold blood this unarmed black man um, uh, named uh, Jalen Walker. And, um, you know, their, their stories of, well, he shot first well, were uncorroborated and unconfirmed until they were. And then even after the corroboration, after the confirmation, after the release of the videos on Sunday, they rioted in Akron anyway. Pete, I'm, uh, I'm at my wit's end with this stuff. Take it away. Well, you know, a couple things. Number one is I probably know no more than you do and probably even less. And um, while I think you know a lot about it in terms of everything that's been reported, we still don't know anything. One of the problems that uh, anything is an exaggeration, of course, we know the essentials. But there are so many questions to be asked and answered, and people tend to jump to conclusions, and that always leads to negative results. One of the things that uh, comes up in my mind is you just mentioned that he is a quote-unquote unarmed black man. Uh, And think of all the adjectives that go along with that. Let's start with black. Um, What is the relevance of that other than to perpetuate a narrative? In other words, was that unique to this shooting? In other words, uh, to put it another way, was uh, was there something about his being black that was pertinent to this? Would a white person or an Asian person or Hispanic person, uh, what was it about him being black that was uh, pertinent to the the entire discussion other than to perpetuate a narrative that uh, cops are shooting black men? Um, He wasn't being shot. There's no evidence he was shot because he was black. None. There's evidence that that he was shot because he had been armed at one point. He had fired a gun while the vehicle was fleeing. He was, you know, in all respects, seemed to be a a fleeing fugitive and posed a threat. 
cops don't know under those circumstances. Again, I like to use the analogy of here I am. I'm sitting in my office right now in my law firm. It's air-conditioned. The heaviest thing I pick up all day is the receiver of my uh, uh, phone. I don't have to make split-second decisions. I mean, I do, but they're not life-and-death decisions, and I have an opportunity to revisit them. Um, the cops are in a different position. But again, wh- why even unless you're perpetuating a narrative, unless you're trying to make sure that people believe that black men are being shot disproportionately in this country, which is false narrative. Unfortunately, 90% of Americans, I think, believe that because it's just simply repeated. Nobody looks at the data. You and I have talked about the data. The data that has been adduced by so many different studies and FBI statistics, we did it at, uh, you know, uh, at the Civil Rights Commission. You know, black males are actually less, similarly situated black males who are armed are actually less likely to be shot than white males are. Seven times less likely under similar circumstances. But similar circumstances are that somebody's in the, uh, in the position of committing a felony or they're resisting arrest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we also know this, that black officers are 3.3 times more likely to shoot a black suspect than white officers are because white officers are, are, are petrified of pulling out their service revolver when confronting a, confronting a black suspect because they've seen what's happened to every other officer who's done the same thing and the kind of riots that ensue. I think it is um, reporting malpractice to phrase these kinds of things the way they do, aside from the potential for further racial division that it could stoke. It's just not accurate. It doesn't have any prints. It would be like saying cops shoot a, uh, an, a, a, a legionnaire, a fleeing legionnaire. Maybe he's a, mer- a member of the American Legion, but what does that have to do with anything? You know, if he had, for example, um, you know, crossed a double line, you could say that's why, you know, they were pursuing him in the first place. That's pertinent to why the chase ensued. But none of that is part of the narrative here. So it's, it's distressing. It's part of what's going to continue to be a problem in this country for the foreseeable future because we have people invested in making sure that that narrative is perpetuated. Politicians are invested in it. Reporters are invested in it. Uh, these various agitating groups are invested in it. And it's hurting the United States of America. We can't operate in such a volatile environment. You can't have a sane, temperate country where you've got races at each other's throats because someone's trying to stoke that division. That's what really upsets me about this. So well, anyway, that's my two cents. That's, uh, that's a good starting point. And, and we need to talk about who is responsible for stoking the division. You asked at the beginning of your commentary there about what the black aspect has to do with anything here. Well, let's ask Senator Sherrod Brown who, of course, did his due diligence here, and that is to say no diligence whatsoever into investigating what happened in this situation, except to know that a black guy was shot by cops. His statement, quote, The family and community in Akron deserve a thorough and transparent investigation of why we are mourning yet another young black life cut short. And then adding, quote, This is every black parent's worst fear of what a traffic stop will turn into. End quote. Peter, the irresponsibility of such a statement here cannot be easily uh, explained. Um, 
irresponsibility doesn't even begin to cover what that says. This wasn't a traffic stop that led to his death. It was his refusal to stop for a lawful traffic stop that led to his death. It was his refusal to follow officers' commands. It was his willingness to fire guns out of his car at police officers. Sherrod Brown wants us to believe that he's dead because he's black and cops at a traffic stop are the reason why. And Peter Kersenow... I'll throw this into the into the soup for you to respond to, because I was doing a little checking earlier about the number of police officers who are being shot at traffic stops. Not that this was one, because he refused to stop. But police officers just generally in the, being shot in the line of duty. In 2021, there was a 51% uptick in police officers shot in the line of duty year over year. And as of April 2nd of this year, so three months ago, 43% increase from 2021. So 51% up in 2021, 43% so far this year in cops being shot. So I, I, I just, what do they expect officers to do? To I mean, literally, to just yeah. shut up and fill caskets quietly and politely uh, as people shoot at them because you don't want to possibly, possibly shoot and take down what might be a black guy under that ski mask. What's puzzling here is, you know, you take the Sherrod Browns, and I agree with you, that's the height of irresponsibility. Somebody in a public position like that mm. who has a platform and is saying something of that nature, it, again, stokes further racial division. It makes people think that, um, you know, there's something uh, evil and hateful going on here. Uh, it, it, but, again, you know, the, the, the individual here shot at the cops, he shot at them. What is the expected response? What does Sherrod Brown thinks needs to be done at that point? That they go home, leave the guy alone? He shot at law enforcement officers. You know, when you shoot at somebody, you, there's an expectation that deadly force is going to be used in return. They need to protect, meaning the cops, need to protect the community. When someone shoots at cops, they telegraph that they are a major league danger to the rest of the community. We just saw what happened uh, in Chicago or north of Chicago. Um, when you've got evidence that someone poses a threat that has used deadly force, what's their response supposed to be? Give them a ticket? This is so bizarre. We've, we've devolved into such a, for lack of a better term, a childish kind of fantasy. That when someone shoots at cops, then, you know, no big deal. We should let them go because they're no longer going to pose a threat. There should be, if there were responsible politicians out there, I was supposed to say statesmen, there's no such thing anymore. But a responsible politician would make it publicly known that here are the consequences that society expects will happen if you do X, Y, and Z. And if you use deadly force, such as shooting, not just shooting at you know a building or shooting a gun off into the air, but you're shooting at law enforcement personnel, expect that there will be deadly force used. Then what's the thing about the number of, of rounds being shot? You know, if someone, are you only allowed to shoot four rounds, five rounds? What, what's the, the protocol here? This is so insane. And I tell you, this morning I was watching the news, and I, I can't remember which channel it was, frankly. Uh, and I don't think I'd want to embarrass them, if, even if uh, that were the case, if I could remember. But the coverage was, was so childish, infantile, and bizarre. I'm watching this thing, and you 
do the old exercise of transposing races. What if the shooter, in this case, had been white? What would have happened? I don't think you would have heard much about it at all. Not a, really not a lick. Not a lick. You know? No question. But there's a, there's a narrative that needs to be perpetuated by these people. For, you know, people want to sell advertisements. They want to sell newspapers. They want to perpetuate a narrative. There's a very powerful force at work here that likes the division because it's profitable. Or well, it advances their ideological agenda. Pete, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, as, as to Sherrod Brown, there's clearly what the Democrats do. He just did what Democrats do, placate to the black vote. The, the black, we, we're with you. We know that black people are targeted by cops. They know doggone well it's not true. All of the statistics prove it. But the black voters, particularly those who are prone to the protests and the rioting, need to hear from their uh, Democrat uh, uh, representation that they have their back. That's why he said this. But I'm going to throw one other one at you here. LeBron James messages hometown before deadly police-involved shooting press conference. LeBron James, very concerned about the shooting of Jalen Walker. Prayers for my city today, he said. Not a single word from this hypocritical piece of human flotsam and jetsam about the white boy that was beaten to death, literally by hands and fists of three black uh, youths who beat him. In fact, I just saw something about the autopsy a couple of days ago. Uh, His skull was cracked open. They beat him so hard, and there was a massive footprint, not a footprint, an indention in the shape of a foot in his chest uh, that killed the killed this young man in the on the uh, playground of the lebron james taxpayer funded i promise school in akron not a word but jalen walker shoots at cops cops shoot back killing jalen walker and suddenly here comes lebron that type of hypocrisy pete that double standard whatever it is that you want to call it is what i think just makes these situations so much worse well it makes the situations worse you're right and it prompts the situations also if you think that you're going to be targeted because you are of a certain race, then the likelihood is that you're going to be acting in a certain way that could possibly even engender such targeting. This is, this is craziness that's happening. We've talked about this a number of times, and it's, you know, I don't know how many times we have to repeat how irresponsible our leaders and prominent figures have been. There was a time, and look, in my lifetime, there was a time when you had our political leaders and other leaders who were adults, and they were a lot more responsible than the current iteration. Uh, I can't remember who it is, but uh, there's a, a blogger who refers to our current class of elites as garbage people. I won't go that far, but we, we are being led by the worst um, elites that we've ever had, I, I no would submit, in the history of our country. They're completely irresponsible, they're childlike in their re- responses to serious situations, and they're incompetent also. And this is a manifestation of that. But also, as we talked about before, the profitability, either in terms of overt profitability, in terms of, of monetary profitability, or something that elevates them in terms of their professions or their profile with respect to, you know, Sherrod Brown um, and his political profile. There's where are the adults? Uh, yeah, this is serious, serious stuff. You know, I, over the weekend, you know, you said you had a great weekend. I did too. But getting together with family and friends, there was a recurrent theme. Yeah. Um, many of my family, family and friends are just, they're not political. You know, they just go about their daily lives the way we're supposed to be as Americans. That's the beauty and promise of America. 
But there was so more than at any time that I can remember, uh, there was stray and uh, random discussion about how the United States is not the way it was just, say, five years ago, that we are going down the tubes big time uh, in so many different categories in so many different ways. And it seems as if we are at the greatest point of division definitely since the 60s, but almost, I, I would say, back to the Civil War. There are so many stress points here, and many of our elites or the people who have the c- capacity to move yeah. the needle seem to be trying to exacerbate this. Peter, and this is one examine, uh, example of that. Peter, I'm glad you brought up the Civil War, because you just launched us into what we'll pick it up on the other side of the news with, and that is uh, Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address because they are in the news, as is your alma mater. And we're going to talk about that as we continue. Peter Kirsten now joining us and staying with us through the news. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1037, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, and online at alwaysright.us. All of the um, videos of the body cam shooting, et cetera, that you need to know about that Jalen Walker case in Akron so that you can uh, hold us accountable for our accounts of these things is available right now. Just uh, click on today's top stories. You will see a host of stories there uh, giving you all the things you need to see about uh, that terrible shooting. And the marquee headline across the top of the screen right now at alwaysright.us, you are not the victim. You are not the victim when you fire guns at police officers. Here's a spoiler alert. When you shoot at police officers, expect police officers to shoot back, and you don't get to claim victim status when you do. Neither does your family as they mourn your death. Just understand that. Shooting at cops leads to cops shooting back. So didn't think that had to be explained, but apparently it does to some people. Peter Kersenow continues with us now. Pete, let's shift gears a little bit here. Let's talk about academia. Let's talk about higher education. Let's talk about the Ivy Leagues. Let's talk about Cornell. I was as stunned as anybody, maybe maybe more so than anybody except Peter Kersenow, when I saw that the uh, Cornell University had removed from their display in their library a bust of Abraham Lincoln and a virtual copy of the Gettysburg Address. And according to the story that I read, their explanation as to why these were taken off display is, quote, someone complained, end quote. That according to a Cornell biology professor who was explaining the situation as he understood it, that someone complained. So I guess that's how this works now. If someone complains about something having to do with, I don't know, maybe America's greatest president, the great emancipator, if somebody complains about his address uh, at Gettysburg, um, and then that goes away now. Um, Pete, what can you tell us? Well, not much more than what you just said in terms of what the facts are. And the way Cornell has responded is uh, I mean, suspect, to say the least. They are trying to say, well, this was just a temporary exhibit. Uh, but there's no evidence of that. And the fact that the librarians themselves, as you indicated, when the biology professor who was in the library noticed that the bust had been removed and that Cornell has custody of one of 
uh, only five original manuscripts of the Gettysburg Address that uh, Lincoln wrote out by hand. Um, and that was on display. They also had digital copies of it also, but they had an original of it. Was the original and, on display, Pete? I apologize. I, I, yeah, I was yeah. Th- oh, it was. Yeah. Okay, and, I thought it was and, a virtual. And on, top of, on top of everything else, you know, I mean, this is a big deal because it's one of the originals, but also it goes beyond that, as you've just suggested. Uh, this has to go to the this dynamic that's developing throughout our country where our woke culture has been eradicating elements of our past. Uh, and now we're at a point, and people had predicted this, including President Trump, and he was, you know, chastised for this, and people were laughing, saying, oh, no, no this isn't going to happen. Uh, but here we are. Perhaps our greatest president has his bust removed. One of the greatest speeches of all time is removed, and ostensibly because somebody complained. Now, we don't know that for sure, but again, that's what the librarians told. You know, they weren't under any kind of stress or duress. That's what they told this biology professor upon inquiry. And revealingly, you know, any lawyer in the world knows that when somebody says no comment in response to a charged uh, accusation, you know, maybe you should investigate a little bit further, Cornell... Uh, simply says no comment when it comes to, you know, whether or not this was removed because of a complaint. They're trying to say, well, this is just, uh, it's just simply transitory. This is a temporary display. Uh, that doesn't pass the smell test. But even if it did, even if, for example, um, they say, well, you know, it's transitory, uh, the fact that at least librarians knew there was a complaint and almost simultaneously it's removed begs the question as to what was the primary motivation. And even if it wasn't the primary motivation, why would you do that knowing that most Americans, still most Americans would think there's something really, really wrong with this? And why would you remove one of the originals? I mean, this is a library. Why remove it? Why should it be temporary? This is a Gettysburg Address. You've got one of five. I mean, son of a gun, this is this is this is nuts. But I can tell you this much: uh, there are a lot of alums. You know, Cornell is not completely woke. Cornell alums aren't completely woke. In fact, there's uh, at least two organizations that are fighting wokeness, and an informal organization consisting, consisting of my former college football teammates who are enraged by this kind of of idiocy. But uh, you know, put Cornell aside for a moment. Your listeners know that this is just one further example of the kind of lunacy, and it's dangerous lunacy, that's pervading throughout the country where we saw, especially in the summer of 2020, where statues of Lincoln and Jefferson and Washington were being torn down. We saw it in Washington in, in, in just a couple of uh, steps from the White House, in fact, but we saw it throughout the country and this effort to erase the past. And I think aside from the iconic symbols of America being removed and an attack on American tradition, there's a real danger here and there's real strategy here too. What the left is trying to do, and this is not some grand conspiracy, they'll tell you precisely what they're trying to do here, is to either erase or defame the past of the United States of America, making people think that the United States is unworthy of praise, adulation, support, and uh, further existence. And you can see much of this in the polls that were recently released in the last week surrounding July 4th, and uh, the number of people who are saying, and it's like 55 or 60% saying they're not proud of America. Now, most of those happen to be 
uh, Democrats, of course, who are never proud of America, but there's an increasing number of conservatives who aren't proud of America. And I think the reaction there is a lot of it has to do with the kind of anti-Americanism that they see emanating from this administration. I think it's a reaction to that. But who knows? The very fact that so many Americans, an unprecedented number of Americans are responding in a negative fashion to a question related to pride in America is very, very troubling. It tells you something is truly amiss in this country at a point uh, that we've never seen before, I believe, at least since the Civil War. This is uh, their attempt, the left's attempt, to erase our history so that, and, and not just erase it, but to claim that it is evil, it's nothing but slavery and uh, exploitation, it's uh, the founding principles and documents were no, nothing other than an attempt to enshrine into the law slavery and uh, class division, that has been sold to a large percentage of our population, and then it makes it that much easier to dismantle what currently is our governing structure in this country, our founding principles, and you, have, you can do it without even have to fire, having to fire a shot, without even fighting a war. You know, the old stupid way was to, you know, get up arms and expend blood and treasure to try to change a regime, and hundreds of thousands would die. Well, the left had figured out that they could never, never defeat, you know, the uh, patriotic Americans of America, so what they did is, over a period of decades and decades and decades, just erode the foundations of America lie about it so that you have a significant number of young people today, and by young people, you go up to, all the way up to age of 40, very significant number of them who have really no objection to changing the essence of America. And Cornell's one example, and many, of other, uh, many other universities are doing the same thing, just one example of this effort to eradicate what's good and great about America. Pete, I'll read you a short quote here just to kind of um, <clears throat> buttress this. Um, one could not learn history from architecture any more than one could learn it from books. Statues, inscriptions, memorial stones, the names of streets, anything that might throw light upon the past had been, had been systemically altered, end quote. You probably recognize that quote, don't you? Yes, a guy by the name of Mr. Orwell, I believe. Uh, but there have been others who have said the same, said similar things, even Karl Marx, because they understand. Karl Marx understood what needed to be done in order to change the world order. And, uh, you know, we are seeing, you know, 1984 used to be a work of fiction, but it wasn't supposed to be a prediction necessarily, but here we are. Uh, well, the, le- know, the, left treats it, the left treats it as an instruction manual, Pete. It's yeah, not even a prediction. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's a how-to guide uh, to get what they want. I mean, it's a bizarre thing that the number of quotes uh, from Orwell from 1984, and you're right, others as well, but the number of these that have come true, that are literally what we are experiencing in reality today in this era of, of American history. Uh, I mean, uh, I could sit here and run through a list of the things that, they, that uh, uh, they're actually doing right now, so much so that it really looks like they were modeling their, their platforms and their policies after what Orwell wrote. Yeah, that, there's no doubt about that. And one of the things that uh, Orwell warned about, and others too, was this replacement of objective truth with subjective, subjective truth. We keep hearing the phrase, my truth. Well, you know, 
truth is the truth. Each individual doesn't have their own little truth there because then it's something other than truth. Then it's your own opinion, and that's different than truth. There may be some truth to it, but it's not objective, unalterated truth. And that's a real danger. We're seeing more and more of that infused throughout not just our educational system now, but we're it's starting to get out into the broader community, into business and finance. I mean, this is scary stuff. We well, can't survive. I mean, when, when we have a Supreme Court justice that can't tell us what a woman is, we're in real trouble. No question about it. And, and Pete, let me, let me throw one more Orwell at you just to kind of, again, uh, underscore what we're talking about here. Quoting now, it was almost normal for people over 30 to be frightened of their own children and with good reason. For hardly a week passed in which the Times did not carry a paragraph describing how some eavesdropping little sneak, child hero was the phrase generally used, had overheard some compromising remark and denounced his parents to the thought police. End quote. Pete, this is happening. This is what our children are being indoctrinated to do in schools right now today. They are literally being told by their teachers, first of all, don't tell your parents what we do here. Don't tell them what you are now identifying yourself as or what we have uh, helped you come up with. And also tell us what is going on in your homes so that we can then, you know, to contact the proper authorities to uh, to correct these problems as they see them. This is literally again what what is happening now is what was uh, when was when was this written? Was it 1947 or somewhere in their neighbor somewhere around uh, uh, yeah that that time? But but literally now, 60 years later, it's become what uh, it's become reality. Sure, yeah, as you said, an instruction manual. Um, one, uh, to juxtapose what happened at Cornell with something else, Cornell's in upstate New York, and as you probably heard, the governor of New York has conducted a full-blown investigation. She's released the hounds to uh, find out, she started an investigation to find out who removed LGBTQ materials <laughs> from, saw. seriously. I know, I saw. Uh, I mean, from from libraries, but removing Lincoln's bust or the Gettysburg Address, ho-hum, nobody cares about that. It tells you the direction in which they're going. And you're right, Bob. I mean, so many of these schools, and we saw it, you know, many people saw it during COVID when they saw what was going on in the classrooms. But the kind of things that are going on in schools are, are frightening. You and I have talked about it. You know, I think we've been in public forums talking about what's going on in our public schools and the necessity of our political leaders on mainly on the local level, to get a handle on this before, well, not before, it's already out of control, but we've got to get it back uh, under control. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. We've got the greatest country in the history of the world. We've been bequeathed an enormous legacy here, an incredible legacy, and we've got so many people trying to erode it, and they're doing it in a vicious, vicious manner. If we don't uh, fight back, I, I, I say punch back twice as hard. I mean, one of the things that I think conservatives have been remiss in doing, and it's not part of our nature, is when we see something like the removal of Lincoln's bust. If I were one of the students at Cornell or a group of students, I would say I would start demanding. I'd complain. Let's get rid of Every image of Che Guevara that adorns every dorm room and everything else. Let's start doing that and have a battle of complaints. Usually I wouldn't do something like this, but I think we are at a moment in time, an inflection point, when this kind of 
fighting back is necessary. If they issue a complaint, we issue two complaints. They issue four complaints, we issue 16 complaints, and go on and on like this to the point where the administrations finally say, heck with this stuff, let's stick with what's right, what we know is right. And they know what's right. That's the problem. You know, the, they know precisely what's right. The danger of that, though, uh, well, two dangers, actually. One is the left can make their complaints without fear of cancellation. If you complain about their Che Guevara worship, etc., you're going to get canceled. How dare you challenge this revolutionary and, uh, and his commitment to freedom and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the second, of course, is the fact that if the administration eventually says the heck with this back and forth, back and forth, we're going to say nobody can have anything up. Now it's, uh, you know, just let's just throw out the First Amendment speech, expression, uh, displays, and so on and so forth. So that's that's the real danger uh, to, uh, in, in all of There's that. There's a danger, and I agree with you, Bob, but I think we've been cowed by that danger a little bit too much for a couple of reasons. Yeah. And I won't go into all of them because I know we don't have uh, time. But I think you've seen more and more people, whether it's on social media or on television, wherever it may be, starting to rebel against this wokeness. They're saying, heck with this stuff. You know, it, it, little things, uh, such as you know, DeSantis in Florida saying no way to all this stuff with respect to their, their, their bills with respect to the in- instruction of little kids. And People on Twitter saying, no way, and corporations, I've just seen several people who've been fired for being, you know, demanding certain changes, saying, look, you're too woke to be here, bye-bye. They're not capitulating as readily. And I think one of the reasons why people fear fear cancellation is because too many people are keeping their heads down. We're the majority. And I think we have to recognize that. And if we stop being cowed, and I understand it's hard. I understand it implicitly. No doubt about it. Nobody wants to jeopardize their job. But we've ceded. Uh, this power to people who don't actually have it. They don't have the power except to the extent they keep us cowed. And I, I would encourage, I don't want anybody to lose their jobs or anything of that nature, but I think in the appropriate strategic circumstance, it makes sense. In this case, this professor, think about this, a professor at Cornell, a professor at Cornell, I mean, that, that's the height of wokedom. And he said, wait a minute, what's going on here? More people need to do that, and I think if the, the majority of us, I, I would say 80% of us, maybe not that high, but 80% of adults at least, at recognize that this way lies the path of ruin, and they would happily stop it if they thought that they had support. And that's the key. There is safety in numbers, the old adage goes. And uh, if you know you've got other people who are with you, and then maybe they won't fire the lot of you or cancel the lot of you, then maybe you've got that courage and you overcome being cowed. But uh, as you say, uh, individually, uh, it's a little bit more difficult. And uh, and, and, and therein lies the, the problem. Peter Kersenow, I wish we had time for more, my friend, but always appreciate what you give us. God bless, and we'll talk to you Thank next you, week. Thank you, Bob. Take care. Uh, that's Peter Kersenow joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1055. Speaking of college campuses and the wokeness that lives there, um, coming up after the top of the hour, we're going to talk about show trials. You think the January 6th show trial is the only one going on in this country in which innocent people are being uh, attacked and presumed guilty by uh, ridiculous, ridiculous, um, I don't want to call them show trials again, but uh, these examples of kabuki theater. How about that? I'll go with that one for now. Uh, it's not. It's not the only one. It's happening on campuses all over this country. We're going to talk to an expert who is observing all of this. That'll be coming up after the top on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Everything he does seems to come out right. Once I went to hear them play at a club outside of town.
You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Rolling on into hour number three now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. If you missed any of the interviews that we have had thus far on this morning's program, they will be posted for you shortly uh, on that page as well as our homepage at whkradio.com. But you will find uh, Jim Jordan, Ohio's uh, 4th Congressional District Representative and ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. You'll have that. Steve Loomis, Cleveland Police Detective, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association on the shooting in Akron and uh, what the media is getting wrong about that case and so many others like it. You'll have that interview there. And then, of course, we just wrapped with Peter Kirstenau, the United States Commission on Civil Rights. I want to pivot now a little bit. Oh, this is kind of still in Kirstenau's wheelhouse, or it would be if he was here college campuses and um, wokeness and, quite frankly, uh, show trials. We're wit- witnessing maybe one of the worst show trials in American history right now. It's an attempt to impeach, uh, even though he's out of office, to impeach President Donald J. Trump for a third time, this time with the intention of uh, essentially disallowing him from running for office again as President of the United States. And, of course, we're talking about the January 6th Commission. Supposed to be an investigation into what happened on that day. Of course, it's not. It's a criminal trial featuring nine prosecutors, nine prosecutors, seven of them Democrats, two of them Republicans, and zero defense attorneys. That's a show trial. They're trying to convict him in order to make sure that he is unelectable. Show trials have been going on in college campuses now for some time, whether they be uh, accusations of terrible hate crimes that turn out to be hoaxes with the individuals alleged to have committed them, convicted in the minds of the fellow students and the media, uh, forcing them to prove a negative that they never did it. Uh, or, of course, in the Me Too movement, the Me Too era of sexual crimes, sexual harassment, sexual assault. Again, men, boys being convicted because of the accusation. Remember, Believe All Women was a hashtag that trended for about two and a half years. Believe all women, even if there was no evidence whatsoever other than her word. Well, joining us now to talk about what this means and the danger that it poses for young people on college campuses and perhaps into their adult lives as well is Dr. Edward E. Bartlett. He is a Ph.D. and a former university professor. He worked for 17 years in the Department of Health and Human Services, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Doctor, good to have you on the program this morning. How are you, sir? I am great, Bob, and you left out a key part of my background. I am a proud graduate 
of Ohio University. Go uh, Bobcats. Go Bobcats, indeed. Thank you for that clarification. I did not realize that from your bio, so that's good to know. Uh, so, so we got a Buckeye in the house, even though you're a Bobcat. You, it's an Ohio, <laughs> our Buckeye State, uh, we'll call you a Buckeye State, uh, um, uh, resident anyway. All right. So, Dr. Bartlett, let's, before we get into some of the stuff that's going on on college campuses, and I hope it's not going on at your alma mater. Uh, maybe it is. Uh, sadly, it's infecting far, far, far too many of our campuses at institutions of higher learning. Before we go there, can you give me your assessment of what you are seeing? As it pertains to describing a show trial, because you wrote an article about this, uh, Soviet show trials coming to American college campuses. Can, can you give me your assessment of what you're seeing in this January 6th uh, presentation that we've been given? Yeah, Bob. So let, let's first of all understand the law we're talking about. The law is called Title IX, mm-hmm. the federal law, and it's uh, simply designed to end sex discrimination in schools colleges, high schools, and so forth. So, so it's, you know, on the face of it, it sounds like a good law, and it really is a good law, except <laughs> for the last 10 years, uh, certain groups have been politicizing and weaponizing Title IX. And one of the ways they have done, they've done that in several ways. Uh, but let me give you just a, a local example just down the road from you. At Oberlin College, uh, for a while, the college was actually bragging that every single male student who was merely accused of a sexual peccadillo was actually convicted of that sexual peccadillo. Um, I mean, that's not something to be proud of that you're, you know, that a conviction, that a conviction is the same as an accusation. But this, this is a widespread problem. So anyway, so the problem starts with this weaponization and politicization of the Title IX over the last 10 years. Well, um, that is very, very clear as it pertains to so many of these uh, campus accusations. Uh, And it's only going to get worse, but I'll hold off on that aspect of it for a moment here just to kind of talk more about, you you just mentioned Oberlin College. Um, You know, the sexual um, uh, harassment and assault charges and claims that are made oftentimes come from a broken relationship or a one night stand in which shame is uh, kind of follows the uh, the incident. And then therefore I have to protect my reputation. And so I'm going to accuse somebody of assaulting me. All of these things that we are seeing put young males into positions of being, you know, as you say, convicted without being convicted, but just accusations become reality when there are public representatives in congress certainly in the media who and in and and in uh, in hollywood in the celebrity realm who say believe all women believe all women means that every male who is accused is convicted and and it doesn't matter if they don't get convicted in a court their reputations are 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 destroyed forever are they not well exactly and that that's the real you know, that's the real effect of these, and I'm going to use the term kangaroo court. Yeah. That, that happens when you're, when a kangaroo court decrees that you are guilty of said accusation, is that that goes on your transcript. So now try to apply to graduate school or try to, be, you know, become a lawyer. That has, you know, that's, that's a, a career, career killer to have your transcript say, you know, found responsible of sexual misconduct. It's a killer. 
Um, we are talking with uh, Dr. Edward E. Bartlett, and we're talking about this article that uh, he wrote uh, about the show trials, the Soviet-style trials that are happening on college campuses. I mentioned a moment ago that it's only getting worse now. Now it's not just about sexual assault, but we're talking about in the new pronoun era we find ourselves thrust into as ridiculous and insane if not inane as it is, it is having real-world impacts on people. And you wrote about a young boy in Wisconsin. Tell us about that. That was really a heartbreaker story. And this was just last month. This was a 13-year-old boy in eighth grade in a town called Thiel, T-H-I-E-L, Wisconsin. And one of his female classmates said, from here on, I demand to be referred to as them or they. And this 13-year-old boy refused. He said, no, I'm not going to call you by that preferred pronoun. I'm going to call you by, you know, your your real name. Well, um, that became a, an incident. And he was actually hit with a sexual harassment complaint, a Title IX complaint, because he refused to use the preferred pronouns. Now, that that is just flat-out ridiculous. And, it, you know, again, it just happened last month. They, they they actually called that a sexual harassment complaint, right? That was the actual language. They said this is sexual harassment, but it shows how this Title IX law has been has been politicized and has been weaponized. Most school districts now have a pronoun policy that that says that um, you know if a student wants to be called by some other pronoun, uh, the, the 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 teachers have to do that. And some policies go for the first day, but you can't tell the parents about this pronoun change. You have to pretend the student is still, still called John or, or Mary. So you can see that this is this is a cancer that's happening around the country. Yeah, it, it clearly is. And it's just, you know, as a, as a former English teacher myself, it drives me nuts when somebody expects me to call an individual with a plural pronoun or a plural p- a possessive pronoun. There's only one of you. I don't get to, I don't, I'm not going to call you a they or a them. And moreover, if you're a female, I'm not going to call you a he or a she in the worst part or the he or him. And, and you know what, uh, Dr. Bartlett, the worst part about this is, is the invented language. Um, I, I just I just posted, and I'm sure you probably have been made aware of these kinds of things on uh, online. Um, teachers uh, uh, or aides, uh, teachers' aides to um, elementary school classrooms or preschool classrooms, and so on and so forth, um, identifying themselves by pronouns that don't exist, words that don't exist. But they made them up because they themselves say, "I don't exist as a as as a as a binary being. I'm not male and I'm not female, and in fact, I'm not entirely human. I'm a spirit." And so they're making up their own right. words. And if we don't memorize them, and so and and Lord knows how many of them there can be, right? If we don't memorize them and gender them, as they say, rather than misgender them, if we gender them appro- don't gender them appropriately, we're in trouble with the law with one of these show trials you're writing about. Yeah, there's, there's 72 different genders out there. Um, here's another example that happened in Ohio. Uh, one of the professors at Shawnee State University in Portsmouth um, refused to use the preferred pronouns, and so he was disciplined by the college itself. He fought back, and he, I think he got a half-million-dollar you know, settlement for, for, the, for the case, mm-hmm. but... Again, these are not rare instances. These are happening around the country. So anyway, 
So maybe I, I can kind of transition to talk about what's happening right now. So uh, two weeks ago, the Biden administration issued a new proposed Title IX regulation. And so, you know, remember that under Betsy DeVos and Trump, they issued a good Title IX regulation that assured due process and did not infringe on free speech and certainly had nothing to do with, you know, the pronoun issue. Anyway, so, so our, uh, our, our President Biden now is proposing to trash, to scrap that, that good proposal, that good regulation that came out two years ago. And, and it's just, it's just horrifying all the stuff in there. For example, it, it uh, starts off by redefining the word sex. Remember, this is a law to end sex discrimination. Okay. But now this, this law, this regulation wants to expand that definition to include gender identity. And again, there's 72 genders out there. So, you know, if a person, and this is where all of the pronouns nonsense comes in is that not referring to a person by their preferred pronoun that becomes interpreted as sex discrimination at least under this proposed regulation uh dangerous doesn't even begin to describe this we're talking with excuse me dr edward e bartlett former university professor uh, also worked 17 years for the department of health and human services i want to quote from your article of june 30th in which you talk about the show trials, the Soviet show trials, and compare that to what we're talking about now with Biden and this rule. At least with the Soviet show trials, at least there was an actual trial, but the Biden rule would make the hearings optional, allowing adjudicators to ask their questions during individual meetings with the parties. The Biden approach would also dispense with cross-examination, again, echoing the anti-due process mindset that plagued the Soviet show trials. So if a college, for example, wants to subscribe to Berea's accusation equals conviction philosophy, all it needs to do is designate the same person to be the investigator and the decision maker. In other words, judge, jury, and executioner. How can this, how can this even be possible in, in the American criminal justice system? Well, it, 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 there is so much hypocrisy that, that, that's rampant in this proposed regulation. I actually re- reread it this morning just to make sure I hadn't gotten something totally wrong. But no, everything that's, that I wrote in that article is absolutely true. I didn't exaggerate anything. That under the new regulation, that there's, there's no requirement for an actual hearing. There's no requirement for cross-examination. There's no requirement that the investigator be a different person from the decision maker. I mean, all of these are are procedures that were put in place under the Trump right regulation, and now they want to do away with that. So, yeah, it, it it really makes you scratch your head, or worse, because this this really does go back to the Soviet Union. Is, is there any remedy? that you can think of in the short or the long term. I, I, I just wonder if it's possible to unring a bell. And once they have established these regulations as being policy, once they have changed Title IX, once they have changed the, the Civil Rights Act to include gender identification 
Um, I feel like there's no coming back from it, and and people are going to be in serious jeopardy no matter what they say. They're going to be offending somebody and then subject to some sort of a a Civil Rights Act violation or a Civil Rights violation, rather, or a Title IX IX violation. Is there any any hope of of returning to normalcy? Well, absolutely, yes. There is hope, and actually I have that expectation. That said, the road will not be easy. It'll be a convoluted difficult road. Let me tell you what I predict is coming up. So first of all, there'll be a 60-day comment period, and on our website, uh, saveservices.org, again, saveservices.org, we have a whole page there that explains, you know, what are the, you know, what are the legal problems with this new proposal. Anyway, so there'll be a, basically July and August will be the public comment period. Then the Department of Education will have to read all of the comments. That'll probably take several months. So then they will issue what they will call the final rule. That could be, you know, um, I'm going to predict it'll probably be after the November elections because it's already become such a political non-starter. Mm-hmm. So probably, you know, late November, December, the new regulation will come out. And then the fireworks will really start because there will be lawsuits. There's absolutely no doubt there will be lawsuits uh, from groups concerned about due process, groups concerned about free speech, groups concerned about women's sports, uh, groups reacting to the, all of the pronoun nonsense. I mean, there will be a multitude of lawsuits, and <laughs> well, and and at that point, it's pretty hard to predict exactly how it'll play out. Well, you're right. It's got to get into court. Uh, there's no question, and, and like you said, dozens of times, if not more, and we will uh, hope hope for the best uh, results there because this is this is something that's unsustainable, in my opinion. Uh, Dr. Edward E. Bartlett, uh, university professor, former Ohio Bob, Bobcat as well, uh, or probably once a Bobcat, always a Bobcat. How about that? An, an alum of, of the Ohio University Bobcats. Maybe that's a better way to say that. Um, Dr. Bartlett, thank you for fighting for due process on college campuses so that uh, particularly young males are not swept up in this this terrible moment uh, of wokeness. I really appreciate you coming on with us this morning. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Bob. God bless. Dr. Edward E. Bartlett joining us. It is 26 minutes after the hour. We'll take a time out here. And finally, a deep breath, four consecutive interviews. Now we'll have a chance to hear from you. If you'd like to make a call, and I know it's a little late, but go ahead and do it. We'll get you on the radio before we're done today. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. It's Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. 1137 as we continue. Uh, final segment on AM 1420, the answer for this Tuesday. Don't forget we have Bill O'Reilly, of course, going to take you to the top of the hour uh, coming up here in just a few. Want to get a call or two in here? We've got a few other things we got to take care of before we're done. We're going to go to Collinwood now. Steve, you are on AM 1420, the answer. Good morning, Steve. Go ahead. Good morning. Yeah, uh, concerning the case of Akron, the uh, rappers there are going to have a good time. They're all going to be singing, Dalen want to be a thug. But but uh, I don't see in the reporting 
of uh, where he was headed to or, you know, in his vehicle because uh, he had a ski mask and a gat on the front seat. So I think he was going to work. What do you think? Well, you know, what I would say, Stephen, thank you for the phone call, is I want to wait for the investigation to be concluded, which is what I say in all of these instances. And that's what makes what has been done by the mayor of Akron, by the NAACP sounding off, Sharon Brown and others, so irresponsible is they prejudge these things based on shocking news accounts and shocking, you know, firsthand uh, or first uh, blush information without uh, trying to figure out what's the context. What happened before that? What happened after that? What were the circumstances as the officers were aware of, et cetera, et cetera? And they judge these things before making uh, or before uh, uh, the investigation is completed. I mean, the investigation is in its infancy and they act like it's done. And it's not, and I won't do that. What I will do, though, is is call out those who have done it, like Sherrod Brown. I still can't get over that, that Sherrod Brown, his statements in reaction to the shooting of Jalen Walker in in, uh, in Akron indicated that, indicated that black males should be afraid of cops. And this is just another example of why. This is what this irresponsible United States senator said when he said that the family and the community, quote, deserve a thorough and transparent investigation of why we are mourning yet another young black life cut short. Black has nothing to do with this case. And then he said, and this was the money line that really, really got me and and infuriates me, quote, this is every black parent's worst fear of what a traffic stop will turn into. The suggestion there is that police officers making traffic stops of black drivers are going to kill them. That's what Sherrod Brown is insinuating. That's what he is suggesting. I mean, come on, let's be real. That's what he's saying. Outright. This is every black parent's worst fear of what a traffic stop will turn into. Number one, The police officers were chasing a thug wearing a ski mask. Don't know if he's black or white. Number two, this thug shot a gun at the cops who were pursuing him. That makes him a lethal threat. This thug in his ski mask and his with his gat, I have no idea where he was going or what his plans were, but it is bizarre that in late June... Who has a ski mask in their car? Not a not a medical mask because of the COVID nonsense. A ski mask in late June. Temperatures in the 80s. Yeah, my head and face just might get a little bit cold. Either that or I'm trying to conceal my identity because I'm about to go do something very dangerous and illegal. And they're about to bust me for it, and so I'm going to shoot my way out of it. Let me throw you a little bit of information that Sherrod Brown doesn't want you to know. Okay? Let me just share a little bit of the, the facts that Sherrod Brown uh, neglects when he says things like, uh, this is every black parent's worst nightmare when there is a traffic stop. According to FBI statistics, 58% of homicides in the last calendar year, the year 2021, were committed by three 
1% of the population. Black males aged 15 to 25. Did you hear that? 3% of the population committed 58% of the homicides. And over 90% of their victims were black. It sounds to me like what Sherrod Brown should have said is that it's every black parent's nightmare that they come across black males age 15 to 25. Because they have a far, far greater chance of being shot and killed than they ever would in an encounter in a traffic stop with a police officer. This is the height of irresponsibility, and this country cannot and will not move forward past this racial strife and division until its leadership, and in this case it's a United States senator, stops trying to score political points with demographic groups like the black voters and starts telling the truth about the populace, about where the threats lie, and about its citizen protection forces known as police officers. Jan is in uh, Greater Cleveland. Hi, Jan, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. I'm just furious at that comment by Sherrod Brown. He will go to any length, just like the president, to keep the black vote and think that I'm on your side. They are not on the black side. They are terrifying these young black men of the police, which is why they get killed. They are... I, I, that no, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, I know the, I'm exactly but the right. Idea, the, the idea, that, and Jan, i got to go here, but thank you. The idea, by the way, that, that Jalen Walker was fleeing the police officer because he was afraid the cop would hurt him, and not the fact that he was about to be busted for what he had just known or was about to do with his ski mask and his gat... His, his gun is ludicrous. He was fleeing because he knew he was about to be arrested once they pulled him over for a traffic violation and a, and a, and a taillight and then found him with his illegally possessed gun. He knew what was coming, and it wasn't the cops shooting him. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.